and welcome to the Dead Darlings podcast. I'm Rebecca Cooney. I'm Laurie Eaves. And I'm Hannah Hutzpah. And you're not speaking because you're a guest. You're a guest. Oh, I see. Oh, she's not speaking. Oh, yeah, guests don't introduce themselves. <laughs> Dead Darlings is a monthly podcast for the spoken word community in London and beyond. Each month we'll be bringing you interviews, tips, inspiration and above all, awesome poetry from London's spoken word scene. We'll also be telling you what's on and where you can submit your work. This month we'll be interviewing someone that I've never heard of before called Hannah Hartsper. Hannah Hannah Chutzpa? No. Hannah Chutzpa. 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 what? And we'll be chatting about Rendang by Will Harris and bringing you a poetry recording from one of our favourite poets. Uh, this month it's from Robin Lamble. But first, what have you been up to this month? Rebecca? So this month, uh, I have just this morning, as we record, actually, uh, took I took part in the uh, Poetry at Your Place grand final uh, slam, yep, uh, which was fantastic. How grand was the slam? You said it's it was grand. Very, the grand final. It the was grand very final. grand. Did I, did I not say grand final? You said it was grand final. I, I, my, I, I think my brain said grand slam, which makes it grand sound slam. even more exciting. I mean, yeah. I mean, that is why the word word slam is there, isn't it? Like, mm-hmm. it's, you know, it's to make it sound like some kind of beatdown happened. Um, <laughs> so, yes. Um, yeah, no, it was fantastic. Um, so um, it was uh, yeah, me and some other fantastic poets. So uh, we had Kelly Van Nelson, Wayne Henry, Scott Patrick Mitchell, Cez Thomason, mm. Rosie B, Holly D., uh, and Melanie McKercher. And uh, yeah, Melanie McKercher, who is a New Zealand poet, uh, she took the um, the title in the end. And yeah, mm-hmm. it was a really, really lovely event. I, yeah, yours truly got knocked out in the first round, which on one level was actually quite nice because it did mean that I just had got to sit and listen to the awesome mm-hmm. poetry without having to worry about, you know, what was coming next or, <laughs> you know, what, what poem I was going to do next. So actually, yeah. yeah, I had a pretty good morning uh, of it. So yeah, no. It was awesome. It was really, really lovely. And it's just, I mean, testament to the kind of fantastic kind of community feel that mm. that Rick has created over the past year. Like it is incredibly impressive. Yeah. Um, yeah. I was in good company. Uh says Thomason also got kicked out in the first what? round. And we were both. So the way they do it at your place is um having um like it's like head to head bouts and the Ooh. audience vote on Zoom. Mm. So it's it, so um so both Cez and I got kicked out of forty nine percent of the vote to fifty one. Oh more gosh, I mean, yeah, kind that's... of style. Yeah. Okay. And it is it is quite harsh because it's kind of you know as Rick always says you know you could think that one poem is a nine point nine and the other is a perfect ten. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nine point nine poems going to get out, whereas you know in a normal slam, yeah, you would you would probably would go through or what you do. What I mean, yeah, yeah. A tournament. Yeah. Um, which is still, it's a lot of fun as a format, though, I have to say. It's, it's really nice. And it does mean that, yeah, the whole audience gets a say, which is quite cool. And they're um, shouting, yeah. finish him! <laughs> <laughs> and I think also slams where you get, like, where you hear more than one poem from the same poet. Because it gives, I mean, obviously each round you're, like, hoping you get through to the next one. So each one does, does still have that pressure. But, like, you can potentially show a bit more of a range, not just, like, this is the one poem that will go down well therefore this is the one poem that I will do like I feel like if you've heard someone do something in one round that you really liked that was I don't know more upbeat then you might be more up for hearing a downbeat poem number two like yeah yeah. whereas you probably wouldn't just do a downbeat poem in a slam 
<laughs> well, you might not. I mean, I, I don't win <laughs> slams very easily. <laughs> Possibly because. I don't know. This thing, like, I'm really not that fussed about winning, but I do enjoy getting through to the next round to have more goes to perform mm. because I like the performing and the clapping bit. Um, <laughs> so that was my major disappointment. Also, um, so there's a long running gag at your place events about um, Rick bought their parents a toilet or, or Rick's brother bought their parents a light up motion sensitive toilet thing. Like you plug it in your toilet and uh-huh. it, it, it goes off when there is motion in the vicinity. It goes of off. The toilet. We, it, it lights up. It lights is that up. for penis havers aiming at the thing, or I don't know. I think it's just a thing. Like I think it, it works for any of them. But uh, so Rick bought this for their parents, and then actually had it, and because it's become such a topic of conversation, actually ha- was offering one of them as a prize in the slam. Okay. <laughs> and if I won it, as the prize or a prize, uh, a prize. There was also 150 New Zealand dollars and a paid um, feature set as well. Um, mm-hmm. Plus, like bragging rights, obviously. Yeah. But yeah, my major disappointment is I was I if I'd won that, I wasn't gonna tell my husband, and I was just going to install it and wait until <laughs> he went to the loo in the middle of the night. I did lick up. That was my plan. And I'm a bit sad. I'm like, I still could do it. I could go and buy myself one of these just to really fuck with my husband. Does it do sound? In my head, it does <laughs> sound. I think it's just lights. Oh, I man. think it's just lights. Although I'm like creating a playlist know, for it in my head. This shit is bananas. I feel like there was a story. There was a story in my family about one of my uncles had a business where they were import- he was importing those um like basically those you know those chips you get in cards that light up and it starts making a, 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 a oh, it starts yeah. playing a tune or whatever. Yeah. And he was kind of one of the first businesses to bucket, start importing those into the UK. Yeah. And they had one that was a potty. Um, that played, I think it was something like Rule Britannia uh-huh. when you peed in it. And my cousin Ben was of an age of being potty trained. And they were like, oh, I think this is great. And my dad's like, yeah, until he goes to the Royal Albert Hall in his 30s and pisses himself. Like... <laughs> yeah, that's a Pavlovian response you don't want to. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I mean, I kind of, I kind yeah. The, the, uh, Left wing potster in me is fucking delighted with that, but you know what? Uh... <laughs> <laughs> yes, anyway. Part of me is wondering uh, whether we should mention that we've in the podcast that we've recorded this a couple of days later when we're a bit more awake than yeah. the rest of the podcast and we're just we making this- ridiculous toilet jokes <laughs> when in the rest of the podcast we're sounding kind of like tired and it's the end of the week, which it was when we were recording. Yeah, we have had a good nap and a biscuit since, <laughs> since, and, and now we're kind of a little bit more energetic. Um, it's going to be a um, weird one to listen to. There'll be bits where we kind yeah. of come back up and we're like, yeah, we're full of beans now. And then bits where we're like, oh no, guys, lockdown, we're tired. Do you know what? Being honest about your mental health isn't always beautiful poems. Sometimes it's really fucking patchy editorial output on podcasts. You know? <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. How about you, Laurie? Yeah, it's been uh, it's been a bit of a mad month with um, the day job requiring me to do four thirty a.m. starts on Sundays, so what? that's been fun. But we managed to squeeze in some poetry stuff. It's okay; it was scheduled and getting the time back. Um, don't work ridiculous hours. Uh, we don't condone golden sex. Um, 
So, but poetry wise, I did a gig last night as of this recording. Ooh, uh, I, I can talk too. about it because it actually happened. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was Burning Eye Presents with uh, me, uh, Jonathan Kinsman, who did a really interesting set of poems uh, from the pamphlet uh, Witness, which is kind of retelling of Bible stories and the gospel. In poetry, which is really interesting to hear about religion in poetry, because it's just something we don't really talk about, and particularly where the intersection is between being religion, uh, sorry, being religious, and in their case, um, trans and uh, queer. So it's quite an interesting. Mm. Um, mm. It was a really interesting thing to get an insight into. Uh, and also Agnes Torok, who I'd not seen before and did a set of really nice poems from their book. Um, it's called All the Days We Don't Revolt. And it was a very beautiful set of poems just about about what we resist for. It's interesting having had all these um, this discussions, obviously, in the news at the moment about um, about protest and uh, the right to protest mm-hmm. and a lot of the poems that they performed are about about kind of the still moments after the protest and the the, the uh, kind of intimate moments that we have that we've won after protesting um, which was a, an interesting uh, and really beautiful way of looking at things um, also um, as part of that event uh, we watched a, a new poetry film called Wide as the Sea from Malika Kagode, who I've seen before, but her new film uh, is out. It's really interesting. It's really cool. Um, it's about a 20-minute short film. It's out on YouTube now, um, kind of looking at bisexuality, and it's all filmed kind of within Malika's flat Um over the course of lockdown and it's just a really it's it's always weird when someone says a poetry film to you you never know, quite know what <laughs> to make of that mm. um but actually i think the best thing i can say about it is i think the poetry is better for the film and i think the film is better for the poetry i think it all comes together really cohesively into something that's better than it would have been just as a a, a set of poems um so that's really cool Excellent. Um, put out a little video. Yeah. Um, last year, a, yeah, last year, Adelia Day, who was our guest last month, um, did an animation to uh, to one of my poems, Wake, for the animated slam. And uh, finally, the, uh, the weird ticketing system that was putting the whole animated slam behind not a paywall, but a, a kind of digital wall has fallen down and it's all on YouTube. So uh, that's that poem is now out in animated form, which is exciting. Um, it's very, very pretty. Like it's, it's, it's lovely. Adelia did a great job um, and mm. yeah, I'm really, really like it. Uh, yeah, those are kind of some things that I've been doing. What about you, Hannah? Yeah, I mean, I haven't been wildly productive on the poetry front. So honestly, Insight was fantastic. We had uh, Robin Lamble headlining and just, just, I'm I'm so pleased with how it's getting. Yeah, 
bigger and better all the time. Um, Robin's always great. Yeah. Um, I did a book swap with a couple of poets I don't know very well, but um, someone was mm. uh, Liv Winter, who uh, did the poem of the month uh, last time, had suggested doing a swap rather than people selling their stuff. And fair dues, I have, yeah. Um, so, so I have two that have arrived from Liv Winter and Jay Whitaker, which I am. I've I've read a couple excitedly and then gone. No, I need to go back to Rendang and finish that for Dead Darlings. Um, I don't know. Broad, broadly, not a lot. I've I've been having a bit of a shit time, which I feel like I'm. I feel like I'm getting out the other side of. But yeah, no, I have not attended much written much some months are like that so okay yeah it is and I, I i was having this conversation with kath blair as well and they were saying well you know because they they host insight and they they have to go to insight uh, not insight hannah hosts insight i think uh speak equal so so kath hosts speak equal and they were kind of saying like actually that with all the prep for that that ends up kind of being quite mm. a lot even though it's only once a month and, and I, I do get that feeling that actually and particularly if for your day job you have to do a lot of zoom calls i've been finding as i remember yes i have to kind of ration how many um poetry events i get to and it gets to a certain point where i'm like i can't look at a screen yeah. anymore i can't keep doing that um so yeah like i think i think if you know it's been amazing that we've been able to bring so many poetry events online and been able to access them that's been great but also if you're not doing that like fair dues. Like yeah. this is a ridiculous crisis that has gone on for too fucking long, for so long. All of that. You got to do what you got to do to get through it. Yeah. Okay. So you know, we didn't learn to speak a new language, write a novel. <laughs> you know. Oh, there's a poem um, there. Things we didn't do this. <laughs> oh God, no that. <laughs> that is a good one. Not writing that down right now. <laughs> Please can we please can we all take this as a writing prompt? Yeah, yeah maybe this maybe is, this the, is oh, that's tip. our that's our prompt this month. Okay, we haven't got a tip this month. Well, it's going to be that the prompt. Write a poem about all the things you didn't do during lockdown. Yeah. Sweet, done. That's nice. And then if you want to send them into us, send it into us. Yeah. Um, our uh, speak pipe is still up. If you search for "dead darling speak pipe," it'll come up, and uh, you can send the recording into us if you I'll want. I tell you what, let's let's um, let's make it a competition. Throw in a book. There's a book to whoever writes the best one. There you go. Which book? One of yours or just any book? Well, I don't know. Could, could, could be one of mine. Sure. Could be any book. Yeah. <laughs> Hannah, Hannah, you up for that? Okay. A copy of Permeable and yeah. a copy of Brilliant. Yeah. Done. Yeah. You in, in on that, Hannah? Yeah. We should probably cool. talk about that properly later and introduce it. <laughs> we will. <do>. We will. <laughs> just came out with it on the fly. But still, why not? Yay, spontaneity. We can good. still do that. Excellent. We're messing with the format, people. Ah, oh, this is good. Oh. Mixing up One other thing before we move on, hmm. um, talking about things we didn't do in lockdown, I hear you both did manage to do something useful in lockdown recently in terms of going to somewhere where somebody had a jab to put in your arm. Yes. Yes. I am now proudly <laughs> vaccinated. Um, we got vaccinated. And uh, because a friend of mine did a little... Uh, uh, video of herself. It's not mine to share because my friend recorded it in her living room and just sent it to me. But um, of a, a send up uh, to the tune of uh, the Ramones, I want to be sedated. So I'm getting vaccinated to the tune I of I want to be sedated. sedated. Um, so I've had that stuck in my head basically every time it comes up. Um, I would say that it absolutely didn't hurt going in. And for me, I only kind of had a slightly achy arm for a week and that was about it. One knackered evening and that was it. 
Uh, one thing I would like to flag right now is that I've realized that in conversations about the vaccine rollout, there is the potential to get really fucking personal, really fucking fast about your medical history or your loved one's medical history or your job or the, um, the, the, the why did you get it when you got it? And I just want to say that healthcare without caveats, healthcare without caveats, um, you might inadvertently be asking about, I don't know, someone's HIV status or how sick their mum is. Just, just, just say, whoop, vaccinated, mm. good. Yeah and move on yeah we did have that at work where somebody fairly high up in my company was sort of saying oh so-and-so's daughter got done i don't know why she got it before me she was 21 and i was like are you actually sat in a meeting speculating about the health of your colleague's daughter what the fuck yeah but no yeah same i had slightly achy arm my husband did did struggle a little bit because we had that on the same day um my husband did struggle a little bit. Um, he was kind of quite shivery and a bit headachey for like one evening. Um, and I think he sort of, you know, stayed in bed the next day. And apart from that, he was absolutely fine and better than COVID. Yeah, better than COVID. Yeah, because uh, so he's got chronic bronchitis, you know, and I basically cried all the way back from the vaccination centre going, you're not going to die of COVID, <laughs> um, which is ridiculous. But you know what? Like a year is a long yeah. time to worry about somebody. And uh, yeah, so shall we on that note do an interview? Let's do an interview. This month's interview is with Hannah Hutzper. Hannah is a self-described poet, performer, writer, activist and smartass. She is a performance poet and writer with three collections of poetry out, most recently Permeable, published by Burning Night Books. Her poetry is funny, feminist and often heartfelt. On a number of occasions it has made people cry, apparently in a good way. Hannah studied creative writing at UEA and has been performing since 2009. She has bylines in The Guardian and The Independent and has ghostwritten copy for commercial, academic and charity audiences. Hannah is an Edinburgh Fringe regular with her one-woman shows including Asking Nicely, Confidence Tricks and Anxiety and Animal Gifts. Asking Nicely received five-star reviews in 2014 and 2015 and was voted Best Feel-Good Spoken Word Show on the PBH Free Fringe. Hannah has performed everywhere from Occupy to the Tate Modern and the National Space Centre. She's also the host of the LGBT plus spoken word night Insight and a co-host of the Dead Darlings. She also co-produces the Vogon Slam. She has been described as fine by three therapists, as of good character by a High Court judge and as a potential maggot thrower by the Metropolitan Police. <laughs> Hannah, would you care to kick us off with a poem? Uh, yeah, uh, uh, I'm going to go for one called This Is Your Twenties. Um, I'm older than that now so obviously everything's fine now <laughs> this is your 20s thank god for facebook emails and mobile phones because if we were landlines and filofaxes everything would be scribbled out three times till we switched to pencil for everyone each page crumpling under the weight of its history each erased address a ghost of a house share forwarding addresses and forgotten postcodes this is your 20s. Postcodes make good additions to passwords. A techie taught you that seven jobs ago. This is your 20s. The impermanence isn't painful per se, but it takes something from you, this lack of solid ground. This is your 20s, and you are one of the urban nomads, lives organised by smartphones and scuppered by batteries or broken screens. This is your 20s, and goodness, you've got a uh, diverse CV. Could you talk through it with me? Listen, 
hundredth recruiter. If it looks scrappy, it's because there's mostly just scraps of jobs available. This is your 20s. How did you lose so many knights? How did you gain so many lighters? A detritus gathering that you need to get clean of, and you will just as soon as you find the time. This is your 20s. You're in the prime of your life, but you've now had more jobs than sexual partners, and you think you might be doing this wrong. This is your 20s. Music and memories are digitised or discarded, because who has room for hard copies? This is your 20s, and you're sure that dead laptop had something important on it, but it's moving time again, so keep or throw. This is your 20s. Your years of experience are growing into something harder. Not quite armour, but people seem to think you're equipped now. This is your 20s. Crises type for broadcast in the small hours. Agonies answered with animal gifts, because our loved ones are always reachable, but usually too far away to give us a hug. This is your 20s. Every object aching with memories and each one a burden as you box and unbox, moving from postcode to postcode and pick where to plant your roots this season. This is your 20s and every next step could be the one, where you find the job with the pension scheme you'll actually use, or the person you'll grow old with, but each maybe is scattered across your CV. Each pension contribution cooking in pots too small to keep track of. Each nearly there relationship reminding you how close and yet how far you are from ever finding home. <laughs> that poem I've heard so many times, but that line about... Um, uh, your friends and family were always reachable, but never close enough to give you a hug. Oh, is a, God. a different thing. Taking on a different meaning. March 2021. Yeah. <laughs> How long has it been, guys? Mm. I have seen my folks more recently than that because they are in London. But yeah, over a year since hugs have been allowed. So yeah, on that cheerful note, let's cast our minds back to when we could cram ourselves into dank, tight bars with <laughs> terrible air circulation. Um, so how did you first get into spoken word, Hannah? Um, so spoken word specifically, um, I went to a comedy night at the Green Note in Camden. or is it, it was a mixed bill cabaret night because I knew someone that was on the bill and I had um, friends from out of town in town and needing uh, entertaining. Um, and I saw, I think... I think it was either Tim Clare or Sophia Blackwell. I forget which. I saw both of them fairly early on on cabaret bills. And I just fell in love with it. I just thought it was... This is, as someone who, at that point, I'd done a creative writing degree with poetry as like my thing I did on the side, but I thought of myself as more of a novelist or short stories kind of a person. Um and I'd also always loved the idea of being in a band or being an actor or somehow being on stage, but I wasn't actually <laughs> very good at acting. I couldn't be asked to practice guitar. Um, so yeah, just this this mix of this this very powerful performed speaking performed spoken word. Um, yeah, that I that I could be on a stage and getting applause for doing the thing that I was already doing. Um, I, I just kind of fell in love with it and both Sophia Blackwell and Tim Clare are very funny and very yeah I, I just 
I, I still love both of their works. Um, yeah, from there, I think it was uh, Hammer and Tongue was one of my first opportunities to give a go because, like, most spoken word has an open mic or a slam element. So you you jumped in with slam straight away rather than open I mic. I didn't really know that open mics were a thing. I just, at the same time that I found it, I didn't know that many of the other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think my very first one was a slightly weird arty event in the Whitechapel Cafe, Whitechapel Galleries Cafe. Um, and then like uh-huh. a week later, it was uh, Hammer and Tongue and Slamming. And Sophia Blackwell was emceeing and said something nice at the interval. And I was like, yay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'm not, I'm not completely making an idiot out of myself. Let's, let's like, try this I'm again. In. That is the thing. And that's been something that I've kind of been trying to, I've been, I've been realizing lately and trying to do on online events and certainly will do when I go back to normal events is that I think so many people have had that moment where you went up and did it and someone said something really mm. nice to you. Some of one of the established people and the people who got up and they got lots of applause and they got lots of people being like, oh, shit, yeah, so-and-so's here, said to you, oh, yeah. good job on that. Um, and, do you, and now I've, kind of, I've been around a bit. I know the people. I know a lot of the speakers. Mm. I know a lot of the things. I'm kind of actually having to sort of tell myself, actually, you're in the position where you need to say to new people, yeah. fucking brilliant job. It's your job to go be nice and encouraging. Yeah. Yeah, which I kind of forget because I'm like, oh, I'm just here with my friends. I'm like, oh, shit, no, you need to go do that thing um, because someone did it for you and it is important. And tell poets how you feel about them. They're good with feelings and they like feelings and they want to know your feelings about them specifically. Uh, Particularly if they're good feelings. If they're negative yes. feelings, maybe maybe think about the way that yeah. you're going to frame that. But yeah, don't give unsolicited advice to newbies unless they're actually being, you know, unless they're actually kicking down. If they're breaking that rule, yeah. yes. If they're breaking a rule. Well, like, I, I have given unsolicited <laughs> advice to a newbie that was like, you're really tall and you can I show you how to adjust the mic stand? Because you're always going to need to adjust the mic stand. And like that kind of thing. <laughs> uh, like that kind of thing goes down pretty well. Yeah, but, like, I think that's, that's uh, yeah. But yeah. So yeah, so that was sort of back in 2009. Mm. Um, so, which is kind of a pretty long yeah. time to have been involved with the scene. So yeah, how has the scene changed while you've been involved with it? Um. I think the main thing that I've noticed is it's gotten a hell of a lot bigger. <laughs> There's a lot more nights. A lot more people are aware of what spoken word is. And because of that, I think the quality mm. has gone up dramatically. Like if you've got 10 people performing, mm. the best person in that group isn't going to really see anything else. Whereas if you've got like a thousand people taking part in the scene, then you're always going to be seeing something new and yeah. I don't know, you, you can kind of raise your game collectively. Um, I think um, also, I think the influence of things like button poetry and poetry from across the pond. Um, I think into when I started, at least the poetry I found and like there was a larger scene that I was becoming aware of. I didn't have like a, a perfect view of everything but I think there was a lot more of um mm. making a point about the Tories are shit or um a lot of kind of clever wordplay rhyming couplets but I think it's what... funny because nobody does that anymore yeah I know right uh but I think what has grown is a bit more <laughs> of the the genre of the expectation even sometimes that you are going to share some of your own experience that you that is a place for kind of mm. 
uh, consciousness raising, as uh, 80s feminists would call it, that there is a place, that it is a space to share bad things you've been through and how the world can and should get better and that kind of more personal, touchy-feely side of it, which I think is a powerful tool. I don't think it's, you know, we're just sharing about our feelings. I think, you know, you share what that experience of racism feels like and your white audience fucking learns. Like, I feel like there's a lot of, yeah, that that space to be more direct, more personal, I think is very powerful, but I think it's definitely grown in the time that, um, in the time that I've been around, which is not to say that it was my <laughs> me that done it. I think some people like um, Rick, Rick Livermore <laughs> and uh, Matt Cummins, the night that they ran... Um, forget what you heard about spoken word and then boomerang which jake wildhall basically said i want to do like forget what you heard um i think some of i want to give those guys a special shout out for like building a friendly warm yeah environment for that stuff and you mentioned the influence of of things coming from a, across the pond Can you tell us more about how how you think that influences has happened and what your thoughts are on it i guess yeah so i mean i guess i guess primarily i'm thinking of stuff on youtube and then later i don't know instagram etc there is a kind of Mm. on on social media and even like i think some poets have had like a boost from places like upworthy or those kind of yeah those Mm. kind of this content's already popular, so we're going to stick our logo on it. Um, kind of brand of uh, internet yeah. content boosting. But, um, yeah, I guess primarily the American slam scene, which has has been going on for much longer, I think, with things like um, Def Jam Poetry on, has been on telly for, like, decades, I think, now. Um, and I think Americans generally yeah. are, less, are less scared of feelings. <laughs> So, um, speaking as a uh, transatlantic <laughs> something or other, I felt like I was in the best position to be an ambassador for uh, both schools. Uh, I, I was born and raised in London. Both, I'm the, both feelingy and yeah, like I, I have the both attention. a big mouth, and I need to make it funny to be able to get away with talking about my feelings. So, if I combine those together, <laughs> then I can do funny and heartfelt, and that's the only way I can do heartfelt is if I make it funny. <laughs> um. Yeah. Uh-huh. And I think poets like uh, Andrea Gibson and, oh gosh, who else off the top of my head? Shane Coyzan. Um, yeah, there's there's a, some North American poets mm. whose sharing their pain is quite central to their a lot of their genre. And they're fucking good as well. But I feel like, mm. yeah, that, that has kind of yeah. entered the field of what you might expect to hear style. at Spoken Word Night. Yeah. And I, I know a lot of people are quite disdaining about, mm. you know, slam style, you know, a typical slam poem. And I think there probably is something to be said for, you know, people copy things that they like. And then sometimes, yeah, you do wind up with a lot of teenagers doing a Kate Tempest impression. But like, there are worse, imp- worse impressions you could do. <laughs> yeah. True. And I mean, I, I think you've definitely said to me in the past or sort of implied that perhaps the scene has got a little bit kinder with it perhaps and less um yeah i think you like you've definitely given me the example of certain slams that have have perhaps got less aggressive and less 
competitive because they are competitive they are competitions mm. but less um less angry white boys yeah, rapping um more no comment <laughs> <laughs> you weren't angry you just really really liked beetroot uh... <laughs> i can be angry who's the angriest who's the angriest as you are i think there are a few um a few nights that have really fostered that as well because i think when it's a very small scene um each night can kind of take the shape of its owner and you know some people run bloody awesome nights like uh niall sullivan and um the open mic night that used to live in the poetry cafe i'm not sure if it's poetry unplugged um like some some hosts have been doing awesome stuff all along but i think some yeah i don't know hosting hosting to some extent requires enough ego to think that you're is worth a shot and people should listen to you and some some of those people are woman friendly and use it to boost other people and some people are like i'm on stage this is mine and you know those those attitudes can kind of leak through to whether it feels like a friendly night or a bellend's night (laughs) and i feel like um yeah there's there's a few really good hosts i think have raised expectations of what a spoken word night should look like and have made it a lot more friendly and warm. Uh, I was thinking this the other day, apropos of absolutely nothing. I think it might be that non-binary people run the best spoken word night. Quite possibly. Faye Roberts, <laughs> Rick the Most, mm-hmm. Caroline Teague. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying it's possible that non but for some reason, <laughs> for some reason, non-binary people run the best spoken word night. I think and that's my new thesis. There's probably something out. to be said for like if you're a minority if you have some some degree of minority identities in your Venn diagram, then like you've probably got enough experience of not good things that you're probably more empathetic. Mm. Like your your ego is kind of I don't know, more tested against shit real world experiences rather than I don't know. Yeah. I think, I guess, like, to piggyback on that, Rebecca, I think that there are nights which really signal that they are inclusive of, um, I don't want to say minority necessarily, because that's not necessarily the, the case, but, you know, of of underrepresented groups of people. Um, and those nights definitely tend to be the better nights because the hosts mm. are thinking in a way where they're Mm. thinking how can I make this night work for my performers and my audience um, and make everybody happy in a way where some of those yeah whereas I think other nights haven't always had those considerations yeah I think that's fair and we host the folk on poetry slam which (laughs) is inclusive of all species of aliens all species of aliens and particularly tolerant of bad poetry i mean the nitrogen levels really are shocking on this planet and we haven't done anything to address it so i mean i don't know how far we can we really ought to continue to improve accessibility by replacing the cardboard babel fish with actual babel fish in the future. <laughs> oh, I like the babel fish. Um, so you've, you're a regular at the Fringe, as we heard, and you have taken a show on tour. Um, how does the experience of touring a show compare with doing the Fringe? Obviously, the Fringe oh. is a very particular experience in its own right, and I'm just very curious as, as, as to how the two things compare. Yeah, um... Public liability insurance, right, Hannah? Oh, mate. <laughs> yeah. 
Yep, that's part of it. Um, I think... So I first went up to the fringe actually like as a flyer for a comedy troupe where I had some mates there. So I kind of was able to learn my way around the fringe before I even had in mind that I wanted to do a thing there. Um, so the fringe, it's it's a weird and unique atmosphere and environment, but there are kind of rules you can learn. <laughs> um, and by definition, you've got a lot of people there who want to see shows. So a large element of it is pointing out that your show's a good one and what time it is and letting people know where and when, hopefully getting getting the word out that it's a good show, hopefully, you know, designing good flyers and copy and stuff so that when people are looking through their big phone directory guide for what's on, yours sounds good. Um, whereas touring, as I discovered, I've done it once, um, I was given a small grant by a uh, mental health and arts trust in sheffield of all places i'm not in sheffield i did a gig in sheffield where someone from the trust saw me happened to see me when i happened to have a gig there um and they offered me this grant to do what i wanted with it and i said i was thinking about touring but um i'd not toured before and there's not really an infrastructure for poets and touring um, there are some nights like Hammer and Tongue where if you can get yourself booked on to be the headliner and they have nights in Cambridge, Brighton, um, London, Oxford, I think. And you can do a, a, a little tour um, yeah. via that. But in terms of more broadly, um, yeah, so basically a tour is a series of gigs. And if you're doing a gig in a place that you have not gigged before, mm. How the fuck do you get the word out <laughs> to people that they want to come see you who they've never heard of when you are not there to flyer for it or like put posters mm. up or whatever before you get there? Um, I It was a steep learning curve. Um, I think what I've learned is that if I ever do that again, I'm going to get someone to help. I'm going to pay someone to help me um, put that together more yeah i think what i discovered when i did the tour was that um the poetry scene is kind of uniquely out on a limb in terms of being really quite big for like numbers of nights numbers of people who go numbers of people who perform at it but really uniquely small in terms of like i think i can name two people who book poetry things in a kind of agent capacity and there's probably more yeah. somewhere. But mm. yeah, so I I found touring a really weird mix of like, I found it scary and stressful. And I discovered that places like arts venues tend to book their program about nine months to a year before the events are on. So when I contacted a bunch of mm -hmm. arts venues going, hello, I would like to do a thing in your city. How much would it be to rent a room? They went come back in a year um, so yeah um it was an interesting experiment um but yeah i i think touring is it's a weird jumping off point and at some point you probably like at some point a lot of artists would probably want to take the plunge but i feel like whether you know what you're jumping in you just kind of have to do it to find out i don't know i don't know at what point you can go yeah i would definitely have a successful tour there's like so many unknowns <laughs> like i had some absolutely amazing gigs um and i had mm. some 
really very weird gigs. <laughs> what was your weirdest gig? Oh gosh. Um uh so i was also doing gigs for teenagers at the same time because um the way a lot of arts funding works is they'll have okay you do this thing now go do it for that group over there that specific vulnerable group let's say like people with mental health issues or women in a shelter or mm. this youth project so like i uh, i don't think my experience was unusual in that they were like you did this thing brilliant now go do it in this completely new context that you're not used to <laughs> But I think my, my first couple of gigs for yeah. um, a bunch of teenagers that I found via Woodcraft folk, the kind of like hippie scouts, which is what I used. That that was part of the network I called on for like, I'm doing gigs around the country. Who in Woodcraft would like a gig? Um, but for a bunch of scouts teenagers, and it was like my first teenagers gig, and it was terrifying. And teenagers do not laugh. And teenagers do not applaud. And it's in a very bright, <laughs> well-lit room. And I thought I was going down like oh, no. a lead balloon. Um, but then actually the um, friend of a friend whose couch I was crashing on, um, turns out he used to do like youth ministry before he lost his faith. Um, and he was like, I know teenage audiences. No one was on their phone. No one was pissing about you were actually going down really damn well. It's just that teenagers yeah. are too self-conscious to clap or laugh or whatever. <laughs> oh, and like after the fact, I have yeah, heard like sure. the, the youth leaders from the thing being like, oh, they're still talking about the things from your show. Oh, when are you next in Liverpool? And it's lovely. But my God, I did not know <laughs> I was doing well. Um, I, 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 I wanted the ground to swallow me for most of that time. <laughs> Um, teenagers that's my weirdest gig it might make sense to segue from your weirdest gig to one of the weirdest things that has happened probably to you <laughs> tell us about men is two headache Heather. oh my god <laughs> oh, i thought we were going to talk about the maggot throwing but okay uh, men is two headache. so yeah. i i just have this knack for weird shit um at some sometime in june not last year the year before i think 2019 was that year yeah okay um i was um in in a public park with my girlfriend um what i didn't put in the tweet is that we'd been making out on a bench i was proper straddling her um and <laughs> you've never mentioned that version <laughs> of the story before i'm glad you've done it while we're recording then a stranger came by and we kind of broke we kind of broke apart and we're a bit embarrassed. Um, <laughs> well, like, like we're a bit embarrassed that, like, yeah, we were like, blah. Um, and and we were just like holding hands and like slightly giggly. And then my girlfriend just doubled up laughing. The woman said something to us and I didn't catch it. And my girlfriend doubled up laughing. I was like, what was it? What was it? What was it? Um, and the woman had apparently she she'd smiled and nodded at us as she walked past, but uh, she'd said, "Men is too headache." Um, which I see you are in a same-sex couple. Good for you, men is too headache. Um, and I mean, the the internet loves a pigeon, right? Like slightly unusual uses of language. Um, so I tweeted about it. I said I was holding hands with my girlfriend um, when uh, I, I had my favourite ever unsolicited queer comment today. I was holding hands with my girlfriend, not straddling them on a park bench, um, when a a woman 
came up, smiled, nodded, and said, men is too headache. Um, and that tweet went bananas. B-A-N-A-N-A-S. Um, and uh, it, it, it seemed to strike a chord. Um, for about three days straight, my entire Twitter mentions was just like every 30 seconds, someone going, oh, it's so true, and I'd know because I'm married to a man. Um, it was weird. I had about three days of people being like, oh, I'm hetero, so I'd know. And I was like, I... I it, most people are stop stop waving it in my face i'm i'm good i'm good (laughs) um and it's it's now been like screenshotted and shared multiple places um people have written it on t-shirts there are tote bags right yeah there are tote bags on a red bubble put together by someone who i i hadn't met before then i've now bought uh bought one of the bags myself um i I have said if people are putting if people are making a profit (laughs) out of this goofy thing please give at least like 20 percent of the profits to some kind of inclusive queer charity of your choice because the woman came up and said a weird thing to us because we're queer and then i had about a week of people being like that's so funny i'd know because i'm hetero like piling on like individual for the first few days everything was really nice and i still found it a bit overwhelming um and a bit alienating how much people how much all the heteros were like yoink taking that one person is a joke you think yeah okay that's yeah i get it and and i say this as a woman married (laughs) after a while guys are are we okay (laughs) everyone's like aren't they shit Guys, we're supposed to like men a bit. Like, come on. I did occasionally um, have like gay men being like, "I'm married to a man, and I'd know." I'm just checking how many times people retweeted it. Um, I think it's it's never quite broken fifteen thousand, but but it gets screenshotted and then shared, and then I every time it gets shared mm. as a screenshot, someone will tag me being like, "Hey, Hannah, it's doing the rounds again," and I'll occasionally pop up and be like, "Hey, it's me." Um. If you're sticking this on a t-shirt, because half the comments are like, lol, I want this on a t-shirt. <laughs> hey, if you're putting it on a t-shirt, um, please, please donate 20% of the profits to some kind of inclusive charity, maybe Mermaids, maybe Stonewall. Cool, cheers. And then I'll have a bunch of... But increasingly, the, the longer it's been around, the more I've had people being like, <laughs> as if that happened. And that that is a now a very common refrain. There's either the "oh, stop going on about you be, yourself being gay." Oh my god, I'm sorry to inform you that we don't care, or bullshit. You made that up. That couldn't possibly have happened. So that's fun. Um, there's a lot of people who think that something mildly amusing is impossible. Uh. So sticking with the theme of unusual shit that happens to Hannah. <laughs> Um, you took a slightly un- unusual route to getting published as well. Am I right in thinking that? Yeah, middling. Um, and uh, can you tell us a bit about that? Uh, sure. So I've now had three things published. Um, the most recent is Permeable, by Burning, uh, published by Burning Eye, um, which I was about to wave in front of you, but that's no use for a podcast. Um, um, the first thing I had published um, was a fairly small print run and it was published by Allographic which is the small press that Faye Roberts runs um, in Cambridge and it was it was basically um, merch it was my first ever fringe show and I wanted to be able to sort of give people those poems in a little pamphlet so it was yeah I mean Mm -hmm. Faye proofed it and 
yeah, it had a proper ISBN. It's a proper book, um, but like it, it's held together with single staples. It's fairly kind of. Oh, I hadn't realised. Sorry, I thought that the first one was the. I, th- I, I thought the first collection was the next one. So yes, uh, and then. Oh, okay. So yeah, this was this was a small print run, and I've got about five copies left of Alchemy Treasure and Butterfly Wings. I'm so pleased with that tr- title, but um, that got published in 2014. <laughs> like I don't love all the pieces in it. The next one. Send Mesotelepram, um, was again merch as far as I was concerned because this like you couldn't go into a shop and buy this, um, but this was the the same organisation that gave me a small grant and said what do you want to do with it. Some of it was tour and some of it was I said I would like to put those poems in a small pamphlet so that I can you know on the tour sell it and or you know people can have it to take away um, because the Chari- because the trust that um, gave me uh, that grant, the Rainbow Heron uh, Small Grants Fund, is an in-memory mental health charity. Um, that meant that um, so it's it's published by the Rainbow Heron Small Grants Fund, um, and it's got an intro about um, her name's Dora, uh, the the woman who's whose memory the trust is in so that was an unusual um experience i mean yeah people who were recently bereaved and also wanted to be doing arts things and i was very happy to be on the receiving end of these arts things but they hadn't done a i hadn't never done a tour before i was the first person that they'd given a grant to and also at the back of my mind throughout the tour and throughout the whole process, I had, this needs to be good enough to be <laughs> memorialising this person who I never met. Um, it, it was a, mm. yeah, I was, it was both a, a strange and sad honour, but also, yeah, I kind of wanted to do right by everyone. <laughs> and that, that was an interesting and unusual approach. Mm. Yeah. And as it happens, that came they, mm. that grant came through after I'd applied to Burning Eye, but before they'd said I'd gotten through. So then when Burning Eye said, yes, we want to publish yeah. you, I said, actually, can I change up what I said I'd be doing? Because half the things I wanted to publish with you are things that I'm going to be publishing <laughs> much a little bit sooner. Yeah. So it was a bizarre year or two. <laughs> So you were diagnosed with ADHD um, a few years ago, mm. and I know that's been kind of you know quite a, a big thing for you personally. But I was just curious as to you know how you think it affects your writing. Ooh, interesting. Um, I think it probably explains why short form appealed to me more than <laughs> long form um, pieces. <laughs> my my attention span is uh, mm. smaller and more concentrated. Um, uh, it's weird because like, I've been writing for longer than I knew that I was non-neurotypical. Um, but I think, I mean, one thing about people with ADHD is we are excited about lots of things. So <laughs> we can really nerd out about a lot of things. And um, <laughs> I think being excited about multiple things and having multiple channels going in your brain at once is probably useful in that like where those where unusual things clash you might find a metaphor no one else would have thought of so maybe it's useful in that regard um at the moment my 
the project I'm working on at the moment is about kind of objects and stuff and the emotional attachment we do or don't have to objects um, and the meaning we put in them. And since I've been on Ritalin, like when I was in that first kind of high of, I feel like Superman, I can concentrate for hours. Um, the first thing that I did was have big clear outs and start trying to like tessellate all the boxes under my bed. And I feel like some of my sort of general messiness was more related to ADHD than I realized. And that now I'm, that, that that experience of getting medicated is kind of maybe is feeding into my current project of like having a a new view on how and why I work and how and why my home and frankly the the house I grew up in it's it's high ADHD is highly inheritable so I think some of the uh, degree of clutter and creativity that was in my family home as well I think is probably because more of us are weird than we originally knew um yeah. <laughs> and that might be a good time a good place <laughs> to wrap up our interview what do you think more of us are weird than we originally knew. It's the new menace to headache. <laughs> <laughs> Hannah, thank you for joining us. You're thank you welcome. <laughs> now it's time for our book of the month. This month, it's Rendang by Will Harris, chosen by Rebecca. So, Rebecca, why did you choose this book? Uh, I chose this because I've just seen it around a lot and wanted to read it. And this is a very, very good excuse for you know this this podcast these book reviews are a very good excuse for yeah let's do that and let's make hannah and laurie read it as well and yeah. what they mm-hmm. think about it. so yeah what did you guys think yeah i quite enjoyed it i think i liked i sort of in a way that surprised me when i looked at the book i thought i'm not sure about this one um very long lines very lots of words, which, as we all know, <laughs> these days I hate poems with any words in them. Um, any Anything more than a haiku, I'm kind of like, mm, I don't know about this one. Um, but uh, this one surprised me in that it kept me going and reading it, uh, even though quite a lot of the poems are quite long. I felt myself being kind of pulled through them and continuing to read them, which I remember, I think I was talking to Hannah Gordon last year, or year before now, I guess, because of pandemic, and was saying I barely ever read any poems that are longer than three pages that keep me engaged. But these did some of the longer ones. Um, and yeah, I quite enjoyed it, even though it wasn't the kind of poetry I would usually read, I think. Um Hannah, what did you think? So I think overall the collection had certain themes that kept cropping up and sort of mm-hmm. collectively, like in any one poem, I wouldn't have been able to say what that meant, but you kind of get an overall sense of stuff about uh, immigrant identity, um, the mm-hmm. legacies of colonialism and sort of historical, often shitty historical things and how those kind of boil down in the present day. Like there's one called mm-hmm. Glass Case about a few things but also specifically about a mask in a museum um yeah and that this is given (laughs) given generously by some rich white dude and it was never his in the first place to give like why did he have it um which ends actually with a picture of the mask and words around the edges um and there's a lot of every poem seems to have a very different way that it's set out on the page and has clearly been considered quite carefully in that regard. 
but overall mm-hmm. it reminded me a lot of say T.S. Eliot's The Wasteland in terms of lots of fractured pieces maybe not really coming together in a way that on any individual poem it reminded me of The Wasteland and The Wasteland always got on my nerves um, <laughs> I found that um, there were individual bits that were beautifully described and there's an overall sense of some of the author's experiences of immigrant identity and stuff that were interesting but overall individual poems a number of them really got on my tits like there's one um from the other side of shooter's hill which is written about girlfriend bursting into tears having seen some cops but the specifics of why they why that upset her what what that meant isn't there on the page and at some point she says don't you dare put this in a poem don't make me into some sad female cipher. My life, a series of symbolic events, the ambulance representing mortality, my niece, I don't know, the hysterical desire for kids. And it's just this very meta. I found it quite wanky. I didn't really know what he was trying to say there. And it just got on my nerves. <laughs> there is quite a lot of meta stuff going on. It, it feels very dreamlike and collage mm. throughout. I would agree with you on that. And I think the thing that saved that for me was... So- there's a line so the final poem in it is quite a long one um Hmm. the title poem the title poem rendang and there's a line in that so it's describing a couple of different episodes um involving and one of them involves like a friend yathu who is or yathu who is um Hmm. of sri lankan descent and there's a there's a there's a sort of stanza in it that says Yatu's mum describes her life in Sri Lanka as a thread on which various events were strung that she could recall at will. But when she came to London, the cord snapped. Her life became a single point, all of its moments converging on one spot again and again. And actually, once you read that, the kind of weird sort of dreamlike episodic nature of the rest of the book makes a lot more sense. Mm. And part of me wonders if. That poem should have been it, sooner. <laughs> should, yeah, should that poem be at the beginning, and then and then I think this is a conversation. This is this is an offshoot of the conversation that we have a lot about complication and about difficulty. Mm. That I I feel a bit plebby saying that that maybe it should have been put at the beginning and that would have made it clearer for me. Like maybe maybe I just want it signposted and maybe that's my fucking problem. And it might be. Mm. I mm. I do wonder if that might have because I agree with you, Hannah. That there were lots of moments where I was like, this is lovely. I don't know where it's going or why. And then you kind of read that and you go, oh, okay, that kind of makes sense that there are these sort of these interwoven dreamlike bits, yeah. memories, fragments that, that, that yeah, and, and that that I think is what he's going for overall. But mm. it is for, yeah. earlier on in the, in the book. Yeah. And that last poem as well, it's kind of describing two different sort of scenes. There's, there's, um, I might be mispronouncing it but yathu his friend and also um a girl in chicago i think who he's like basically couch surfing with and as the poem goes on they kind of those two characters kind of get meshed together like it's almost like he is seeing them both as the same person Mm. in a very dreamlike way and also talking about his own childhood and moments from his childhood that that have got have got conflated in there as well because there are children in both episodes as well Mm. yeah it feels kind yeah it feels almost like you've kind of woken up in a um in the middle of a dream and started writing what you're thinking and the 
and the way that it works um when you are dreaming of yeah like identity shifting and a person being another person mm. that is very dreamlike i think the last poem kind of does it in a way where it's a little more structured it's a little more uh you're able to kind of see that that's how it's working um whereas over when you're seeing that over the course of a collection as a whole i think it's the kind of thing that you could either say it's confusing or you'd say i need it requires rereading in order to mm. get to the layers of it um, which I was, I think, I think I was resisting saying that because I feel like we, I, I definitely said that last month, and it sounds like a clever thing to say at the time about. I think it would repay a second reading. Mm. I, th- I feel like if you say that too often, um, it just sounds like you found a glib thing to say when you didn't understand it. But yeah. I think this is also another one that would repay rereading. If I said that again next month, you can definitely give me side eye. Um, yeah, well, I, think, <laughs> I think you know, I think that's a fair point. I think it's the kind of collection that. whether you take to it or not that is not obvious on the first reading and that's not necessarily a criticism of it Mm. it's just that's the kind of poetry it is yeah i think um and i'm usually with you hannah Mm. i'm usually on the i want my meaning and if i can't get to that meaning quick enough i'm not invested in it but I think I, this one kind of works for me in, for example, I think the first poem's interesting um, where it's describing uh, him on uh, on Regent Street and, and just walking around in central London, um, meeting someone who claims to be a holy man who's talking to them, to Will Harris, presumably, or the narrator, and then kind of giving him fortunes and things. And then when he has no money, at the very very final words of the poem pulls out a knife and then that's the end of the poem Mm -hmm. so i like in that one for example how everything has this dreamlike quality that's been built up and then you're suddenly undercutting it Mm -hmm. with the image of the knife um that was where for me i went oh okay i i like that kind of change that vault fuss at the end of the of the poem that makes me want to read on and want to kind of get to what is going on underneath these poems. Mm. But if you don't have that moment, if you don't have that response to it, then I would totally be where you are. I think. (laughs) I mean, the, like, I would like to pick out the one I really did like called my name is die, which is about a guy aggressively holding forth at a pub while sort of like possibly, you know, starting to, loses grip he's clearly not in a happy place and he's very drunk Mm. but i feel like that was a very good character sketch and very well written yeah um but at some point the guy asks it's very funny as well that poem yeah and at some point the guy asks what they do and he says he's a writer he's like you should write about this and like yeah it, which I think aggressively annoying as a thing that has happened to most writers or poets, right? right? Yeah. Someone's gone, oh, you should write a poem about this. And I'm like, oh, yeah. fuck off. Or like, I'm telling you this very boring anecdote and it's thrilling because you can make your fortune from it by writing it. Great, mm. great. Thanks for this. <sighs> uh, but yeah. also, yeah, that one I thought... He, that one I was very willing to hear about being a writer and having someone react to that information weirdly but he also did quite a lot of writing Mm -hmm. about writing 
which is a bit of a bugbear for me. Um, it's very Marmite, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. I, like, I just... it's one of those things where you either. Yeah, I, you I personally, get into it or you don't personally think my writing got a whole lot better when I stopped ever writing about the fact that I was writing, um, and mm-hmm. it's something that I sort of sometimes when I've seen younger poets performing about I'm I don't know yeah I've occasionally spotted other people writing about writing and been like oh I used to do that and I haven't done that in a while and that's interesting okay yeah I remember yeah no almost like being reminded of like teenage fashion choices or something I I personally (laughs) like have this kind of like oh I used to yeah no good good left that in the past cool (laughs) um and I think he's he's a clearly confident enough writer and like one of the things in here won which prize? A big one. Um like clearly he's a very confident writer, so I think I'd see it as more pretentious than juvenilia. They won the twenty eighteen mm-hmm. forward prize. That's it. For the poem Say, which yeah. is in this collection. Yeah. I like that one a lot actually. Yeah, to go back to the writing about writing briefly, I think it is it definitely comes under the under the category of um easy to do hard to do well Mm. yeah i would agree with you there rebecca yeah for sure but yeah the one where he's uh on shooter's hill i think it's called where he's got his girlfriend saying don't put this in a poem and say that i'm a metaphor for this this and this and and i just i it just got on my nerves (laughs) a lot okay um any final thoughts as we bring this conversation to a close I think we, I think we've hit this. We we actually this. I think it's worth saying this is the second time we tried to record the um, discussion about this mm. book, and I think part of it is that Hannah. And I don't want to put words in your mouth, Hannah, but you you didn't like this one that much, right? Yep. <laughs> Fair to say. Um, I did, but I found it quite hard to express why I liked it, and I think that we've discussed some of the ways that it that I think it does what it's doing well mm. um but also it's not the kind of book I poetry book I would usually enjoy so it's kind of getting away with for me the tricks that we've just <laughs> talked about that are like it's hard to do well mm. so for me it's a successful poetry book and I like it because I for whatever reasons I think it, it just about stays on the right side of things that I usually don't like mm. in poetry. I think I would agree Hannah, with you there. It's gone the other way. Yeah, mm. yeah fair. Yes, I think I come down probably on the lorry, lorry end of the spectrum. Um, so yeah. What did you think, Rebecca? Because we kind of we, yeah, we each have dominated the conversation. Yeah, you really have. Um, <laughs> Sorry. No, no, no. Um, yeah, I think I think like I said, I think I would come down towards Laurie's end of end of the spectrum. Um, that because I remember when we were sort of um when we've spoken earlier in the week I, I kind of was about halfway through it and I sort of was saying I'm liking it the more I go along um hmm. and I think getting to that final poem and then going ah this is the bit that makes it make sense mm. like I did like it a whole lot more and you know for all I'm poking fun at myself genuinely I think rereading it I think I would enjoy it even more actually so yeah I did enjoy it but I think I I in the qualified ways perhaps that Laurie's mentioned that that there are moments where I'm like I don't know. I don't know what's going on here or why. But mm. is that me or is that you? Um, so yeah, then there were there were definitely sort of really really interesting moments that I liked and really interesting images. It's funny, like 
when we think back on some of the other books we've read and reviewed for the podcast like um for example what was it matt hayes book i'm forgetting the name of it now is it death magazine yes Mm. i never quite had that moment of oh right this is what's unlocking it for me um i felt i did have a moment of that in this you Mm. obviously did rebecca hannah you haven't Mm. and it's funny how how those moments really change your relationship with Mm. a poetry book yeah um i feel like i don't know like yeah i remember that people love liking that image but it didn't then spiral out into this kind of wider yeah it's like people love or hate twin peaks which is really dreamy in the way that Mm -hmm. it works as a television show and you either get on board with that and love it or you just like i hate it because (laughs) i just can't it doesn't work like and it's it's strange how a poetry collection can be like that i think (laughs) yeah not to turn every conversation into twin peaks um so yeah so that is um, i'll tell you what the other thing i learned reading this is do not fucking mm-hmm. read poetry books on an e-reader i have been resisting uh... getting an e-reader for a long time because i like my mm-hmm. paperback books and my husband wanted to buy a new e-reader a new fancy schmancy one and he said well do mm-hmm. you want my old one then and i was like yeah fine that's probably a good idea and then because i had a new toy i was like oh well i'll da-, and we were talking about the book i'll, I'll download the book onto this and say waiting mm-hmm. for it to arrive and when you was like Hannah, you were saying that you know the the line or like the kind of the layout is really mm. you know was really interesting. I didn't get any of that. It does mm. not. The formatting has not didn't been preserved. Work. And also trying to have this conversation, flicking back between poems. Oh like, yeah, can't do that. I can't put sticky notes on a fucking press, press, e-reader. Press, 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 press. Yeah, just, yeah. So yeah, has, that would be one... my advice. No, we... If you want schlocky YA fantasy probably an e-reader is a good shout not for poetry books no so we don't recommend the ebook version of this, no, of this book. thoroughly not <laughs> and that's not has nothing to do with will harris that is or absolutely to do with the medium so the book is rendang by will harris it's out on granta poetry in the uk and hannah you have a us copy yeah. which is on a different press right? i ordered mine from bookshop.org because uh you don't need to buy books from amazon you can keep your local bookshops alive but um yeah i That's got true. the wesleyan university press version which was printed in connecticut i have no idea how that reached me in london more easily than the um uk version but yeah i prefer the cover on the uk version yeah mine um, is extremely great on the uk version my cover is the extremely pink yeah the one on the us version looks very strange um also yeah so that's i bought it from granta poetry's website but you can also get it uh from bookshop.org like hannah said um also the hive.co.uk um gives uh money to independent bookshops uh hopefully by the time this comes out um it won't be very long until actual bookshops are back open again so go to your local independent bookshop in a moment we're going to have our poem of the month to play us out but before we do that anything you guys want to plug sure you can find me on facebook and instagram at laurie eves poet or on twitter mr leaves my book biceps is out on burning eye books or in brick red cassette form on buried vinyl you can pick up both versions from my website laurieeves.com and stream the audio version wherever you stream audio uh, I am Hannah Hutzper or Hannah.Hutzper or Hannah underscore Hutzper on all the platforms. And Hutzper is C H U T Z P A H. 
Uh, but the main thing I want to plug at the moment is I'm on the... I, I have been volunteering on and off for decades with NetPol, the Network for Police Monitoring. So if you think that things like the uh, Policing and Crime Bill is absolutely terrifying and horrible and shouldn't be a thing, uh, I would encourage you to go to netpol.org and sign their petition, which is to basically ensure that UK policing stays within international human rights standards, which should be pretty fucking easy. Um, and they are a fantastic go-to resource for information and civil liberties stuff any day of the week. Um, so yeah, that's what I want to do for my plug is netpol. Uh, netpol.org for all your activist needs and uh, your uh, the go-to response for all dealing with all cops ever is no comment, no comment, no comment. Thank you, citizens. Uh, you can find me on uh, my website, uh, rebeccakcooney.wordpress.com. I got an email at work from somebody who was like, oh, I was just checking out your website while I was looking for your email address. Really liked your stuff. And then proceeded to give me the kind of press release for the thing they were going to talk about. And I was like, that's weird. And I, I make absolutely, unlike Hannah, I don't have a stage name. I make absolutely no attempt to differentiate my work Twitter from mm. my poetry Twitter. And yet somehow I'm fucking shocked when they <laughs> they discover the two. But I didn't actually expect them to have a good old rummage around my poems and then write to me to tell me they want me to publish something. Just before Christmas, I, I do interviews for my day job sometimes and had a full-on interview with someone for about 40 minutes. And then at the end, they started grilling me on my poetry stuff. And I was just like, <laughs> grilling oh you? What, what did they have to yeah, say? Yeah, just been like, by the way, are you a poet? Let's talk about that. No, oh, okay. Like, let's not. Not like, what <laughs> I the am fuck was with that metaphor? <laughs> no. I was, <laughs> your iambic pentameter was all over the shop, mate. <laughs> um, so anyway, if you, if you want to peruse my website uh, and then email me at work, um, I mean... <laughs> Please don't. Yeah, please don't. Um, but uh, you can find me on Twitter at Rebecca K. Cooney, on Facebook at Rebecca K. Cooney Poet, and on Instagram as at any name but Becky. You can find the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at Dead Darlings Pod, on Facebook as Dead Darlings Podcast, and you can email us at deaddarlingspodcast at gmail.com. So any of those ways you can submit your poems for our little impromptu poetry competition. Um, and you can also, if you search for Dead Darlings and Speak Pipe, uh, you'll be able to find a way to submit a recording of that as well. If you liked what you heard, please remember to rate, review and subscribe wherever you get your podcast. It does help people find the podcast and help us spread the word. Our poem of the month was performed by Robin Lamble. Before we share Robin's poem with you, I just want to say thank you to them for letting us showcase their work. Thank you to my co-host Laurie, to Hannah Hutzpah for joining us as our <laughs> interviewee, to Texas Radio for our theme music and to you for listening. Thanks. Cheers. Bye. 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 So, I've got a new boyfriend slash girlfriend. It's called Cthulhu. It uses it pronouns because it is a monstrous alien deity too ancient for language and it has all the genitals. I found it on Tinder. I couldn't see it, which everyone assumes means it's a serial killer, but sometimes it's just a misunderstood abomination whose very glimpse will shred your sanity. It didn't reply to my message, but I felt its call and somehow smelt how to find it. I journeyed for days and there it was. 
tall, gargantuan in fact, dark as void and full of eldritch curves in all the wrong places. I stood there, hoping it would notice me, but I was merely a speck before it, and also it was asleep. I waited there several days, and at last our stars aligned. Its swallow-me-whole eyes opened, and some of them immediately met mine. It was love at first sight, if you ignore when I watched it sleeping. I moved closer, coquettishly. Teasingly, it shrugged loose the glamour that shields the world from its blasphemous geometry, and at last I could glimpse its true, writhing beauty. It groaned a groan that twisted space and time and also my heart, and, to prevent any possible miscommunication, also made very explicit gestures with two of its impossibly articulated arachnoid appendages. I began secreting bodily fluids in anticipation, mostly mucosal. Did I mention that I am a leopard slug? Probably I should have mentioned that. When I said I was on Tinder, I was literally on some Tinder. Slugs can't really use smartphones because of the slime and lack of thumbs. But Cthulhu did not judge me for this, because all creatures are like slugs before its squamous grandeur, and it was horny. It gathered me up in its strong, leathery wings that will one day blot out the sun, its unhallowed bulk nibbling on my skin. I coiled around a tiny fraction of itself and, coated in the juices extruded by our flesh, we unfurled our translucent hermaphroditic genitals. I from behind my head, like normal, it from the unfathomable void within, and we gifted ourselves to each other. I do not know how our children will turn out, being part slug, part incarnation of existential despair. But I'm glad I don't give birth to live young. Mm -hmm.